Hello. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Multiracial Mental Health Podcast, where each month we explore the complexities of mental health through the lens of multiracial identity. My name is Shireen Shuai, and I'm a licensed psychotherapist and mixed race woman of Black and Iranian descent. And I'm Madrone Love, a fellow therapist and mixed race woman of African American and Scottish Canadian descent. Together, we're here to bring you informative and authentic conversations with experts in the field of multiracial mental health. Hello again, everyone. Today, we're talking with Jenny Porundi, a licensed expressive arts therapist based in Oakland, who will speak with us about mixedness and the intersection of art and identity. Jenny is an expressive arts therapist and facilitator. In her private practice, she works with individuals who identify as mixed heritage to explore their racial, ethnic, and cultural identity at the intersection of sexuality, gender, class, spirituality, and disability status. In addition to expressive arts, she utilizes attachment theory, narrative therapy, and mindfulness-based approaches, and is influenced by Buddhist psychology in her work. Jenny uses an integrative approach, which includes an understanding that mental health is about more than our minds, but how we're able to show up in our bodies, our environment, and our relationships. So let's get into it. All right. Welcome, Jenny. So happy that you're here. Yes. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation. Great. So let's start off with what made you decide to become a multiracial focused therapist? Yeah. So when I was starting my private practice, I was thinking about, you know, what was a therapist that I would have wanted in my early twenties or in my thirties. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I would have loved to have someone to talk to about my mixed identity. I feel like it was something that I didn't have a lot of language for, and I hadn't had a lot of time um, to talk about it with my family or other people in my life. So I thought, you know what, that feels like an area where I have a lot of interest, a lot of personal experience. And I didn't really see folks offering that at the time, um, in a very specific way. So I thought, you know, this would, this would really align with who I am and a need that I see. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your own background as a mixed person influenced your decision to focus on this experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if that's everyone's experience, but you know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to offer, I really looked to like, what do I know? What's my own experience? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, we know that you spent some time growing up in, in Germany, right? And um, yeah. yeah. How do you know that? Did I share that? You guys are just really good you listeners. Shared it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're all pro- also professional listeners. It's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 What was what was that like for you as a as a mixed person? Um, you know, in, in terms of German culture. Um, yeah. What was that like? What was that? Yeah. So I was really young at the time, to be honest. So um, my dad was in the army. So my dad is African-American, black from the South. My mom is um, Swedish and German, kind of first generation. Um, She grew up in in Chicago. And when they got married, this was in 19, 
74, I think my dad consciously thought, you know, I'm going to join the army so that I can be overseas because Mm -hmm. it's not that accepting here for people of mixed race. My parents have a story of them traveling down to the South after my sister was born. And my mom told me, I just have a memory of him like hanging up curtains in the back of the van. And I rode in the back of the van all the way down through the South because they didn't want to get stopped as a black man and a white woman Mm -hmm. um, driving through the South. So they made a conscious decision to have him join the army and be stationed in different places. So I was really young. I was three, four, and five, but I moved a lot. And I do think having the experience of being in a culture, but also being outside of it is, you know, very parallel to the experience of being mixed for me and knowing there is other ways that people um, can show up in their identity and their racial identity and their ethnic identity in different places outside the U.S. Um, so, yeah, I think even though I was very young at the time, just that knowledge and some of the conversations that I had with my family about We didn't have that many direct conversations about race, but just about, yeah, we made this decision, you know, that story about driving down South, we made this decision to move abroad. Um, As an adult, my dad did a lot of traveling and he went to France a lot for work. He was working for a French company and he talked a lot about when I'm in France, when I'm in Paris, my race is not the first thing that people see about me. Hmm. Um, or the the first kind of way that I'm categorized when I walk down the street. Um, So yeah, just the knowledge that there's something very particular to our culture, to American culture, of course, right? The history of this country and the way that race has been used um, to categorize people really influences what it means to be mixed here. Mm -hmm versus in other places. Mm-hmm. And and um, did you mostly grow up in the Bay Area? I know that you're located in Oakland now. What was it like to be a, what's it, what's it been like to be a mixed person in the Bay? Yeah, I did not grow up mostly in the Bay Area. I moved 11 times before I turned 18. Mm-hmm. And so I, mo- I lived a lot of different places, um, mainly on the coasts, but I was in high school on the East Coast in Philly. I went to my undergrad in Montreal And then I moved out to LA um, after college and have been in California mainly since then. I did a little bit of time in New York, but here in the Bay, it feels like this is, I love being in the Bay as a mixed person. (laughs) And it's a very conscious decision to stay here and raise my family here. And um, we lived in Oakland briefly um, when I was nine and I think we all had an experience of seeing the diversity of the Bay Area and the way that my experience is that people here in the Bay Area have a lot of, you know, there's diversity all over the country. There's diversity on the East Coast for sure. But my experience there was there's very clear Black neighborhoods and Black grocery stores and Black movie theaters and white neighborhoods and white grocery stores and white, you know, movie theaters. Um, And there's some mixing, but here... I just remember seeing and feeling and even now seeing like, oh yeah, it's, we're living together. There's definitely neighborhoods, but there's a lot more mixing that happens. 
don't even know what the word is that I'm looking for. Just, yeah, the diversity and the mixing that happens here feels very unique mm-hmm. and there's something healing and soothing about it. Mm-hmm. At one point, me and my partner um, talked about, we hadn't even consciously recognized it. We were like going through all my daughter's friends and we were like, oh my gosh, all of them are mixed, all of them. Wow. <laughs> so huh. yeah, I, I feel so excited to think, oh my gosh, they're going to have such a different experience than I had growing up um, of feeling like they saw people that looked like them or people that had families that looked like ours or just had conversations about race in a different way and culture and ethnicity differently Mm -hmm. than I did. Mm -hmm. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A couple things stand out to me with that. Um, Just appreciating kind of the, the ideas of just how intentional your family like both, um, you know, your your mom and dad and then your own family about how intentional you've been about um, what you need to do and where you want to live mm-hmm. in order to have a certain experience and to give your children a certain experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot, a lot of families think about that. Um, probably a lot of Black families think about that mm-hmm. and a lot of um, mixed families think about that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and it's true um I have a uh, family my mom's black my dad's Persian um I on my mom's side I have a lot of family in Atlanta St. Louis um when I travel there it's it's like what you described right that it you know it, neighborhoods are very distinctive and yeah. um I grew up here in the bay and it, it it's definitely a different vibe um yeah. you know i mean we've we've got our we've got our issues but it looks different mm-hmm. the feel is different um yeah. yeah well i wonder how that how that plays out for you clinically right with your clients um I'm curious, are are because you do focus on on mixed race folks. Like, are are most of your clients local? Um, how do you create uh, a comfortable and inclusive space for multiracial clients in your practice? Yeah, so definitely, when I was starting my practice, everyone was local, and I think post pandemic and during the pandemic, there was a lot of shifting and opening up of you know, who we could see as clinicians all throughout California, there was just a lot more accessibility and availability um, when we all went online. So at this point, you know, I think a fair number of the folks that I see are local in Oakland, but I also have folks in LA and in Santa Cruz and um, in San Diego and kind of all throughout California. Um, And, you know, the question about like how to create an inclusive space, I think that's the question you asked, Mm -hmm. Shereen. That's how it's framed, but I, you know, just, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like in my, on my website from the beginning, I want to be really clear that 
and talking to people, I think the language I'm, I use on the website is people that are navigating this space that feels like it's in between the boxes that we have right now, the categories that are available, even though that's expanding, um, you know, and now I know we're all familiar with the check boxes, right? Like choose which, what race are you choose one or Mm -hmm. only choose two. Um, even those really don't fit for a lot of people. So just the folks that feel like, you know, this just what's available to me, the categorization of not only race, but sometimes even gender sexuality don't feel like they fit the ways that I move through the world. So just speaking to that from the very beginning um, on the website so that people that are looking for someone can know, okay, yeah, this is right for me. This feels like it resonates with me. This is something that maybe I haven't even articulated to myself. I've definitely had people say that like, oh yeah, I don't think I would have articulated that to myself that I'm navigating between these labels, but it does resonate for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have a questionnaire that I give to all the clients before I start um, and ask them to talk about, you know, who they are, how they identify now, including pronouns, including background and identity. And, you know, what are the issues that you're wanting to talk about? And so I give some categories and then also allow people to fill that in um, and then spend the first few sessions going over that and, and, and then talking to about, I always think this is fascinating and I'm curious for you too, as well. You know, I've also done a lot of supervision for clinicians that are getting licensed. I'm always fascinated by, you know, how did you choose me? What made you choose me as a therapist? Mm-hmm. What was it? particularly that you read on my website on psychology today that stood out um, and how those dynamics, maybe even unconsciously of gender, of race, of ethnicity, of phenotype and how I present, how did those speak to you? And I don't necessarily go into that much detail with it and ask in that detailed of a way, but do I do wonder about it and I do ask about it. And um when that matches or not, you know, when someone who's monoracial is looking for a, I have, I have one client who's monoracial and in a relationship, she identifies as monoracially black and her partner is white. And she said, you know, I was looking for someone who's visibly biracial (laughs) to be my, my partner, my partner, my therapist, Mm. I think you know, so that we can talk about some of these things and how it feels to be in this like uncomfortable in-between space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are some of the common concerns that you encounter among your, let's focus on your multiracial clients. And I heard that um, they read your website. It sounds like they get intrigued by this idea of navigating between different aspects of their identity. And and once you meet them, what are you expecting? What's showing up? Anxiety, imposter syndrome, low mood. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a range of, you know, I think there's a way that people come in through the door and it's usually because I'm working with multiracial folks and that's how they find me. And then often the other doorway, I think people come through or find me is because of my background as an expressive arts therapist and people want to be working in this different way using expressive arts. Um, So that's typically how people find me or 
come to me. And then, yeah, there's such a, there's such a range of what actually shows up in the room. Um, definitely anxiety, like you're naming. Um, and I don't know if it's been named as imposter syndrome per se, but definitely this feeling of, um, which I think is very common to multiracial folks or mixed heritage folks. Like I'm just missing something <laughs> like everyone else mm. gets it and I'm just missing it. And that's showing up at work or that's showing up in relationship. Um, this, this feeling of there are these co common, maybe reference points or ways of speaking or, mm -hmm. you know, cultural touchstones that, it kind of sometimes feels like everyone else is in on the joke or isn't on what we're talking about. And I just don't feel like I know what it, people are talking about. I feel, mm. I feel isolated. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of constantly trying to catch up or hide or um, yeah. Kind mm. of figure it out. Yeah. It's so painful. Yeah. Mm. And how do you work with that? How do you support clients who are struggling with that? Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I think as we named in the beginning, I have a really strong attachment lens that I feel like I bring to all the conversations that we're having. And it's not a one size fits all, but I do think that there is a strong um, template that's laid where we get this sense, and this isn't necessarily related to multiracial identity per se, but there's this sense of I, I can understand who I am, how I am in relationships, how the world is based on my early relationship with my caregivers. And something I come back to a lot, which I think does, uh, does apply to being multiracial, to being mixed heritage. Um, Dan Siegel talks about the four S's of secure attachment mm -hmm. and how in a secure attachment relationship, you feel seen you feel safe, you feel secure, and you feel soothed. And in my work, in the groups that I'm running, we talk a lot about what does it mean to feel seen? What does it mean to feel like I have, you know, we talk so much about representation matters. And I remember, I'm curious if you remember, like I remember being, I think probably 12 or 13, um, and I think flash dance had come out and, um, oh my gosh, what's the woman's name? Not Jessica Beale. She's like a Jennifer. Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer Beale, someone like a parent of my friend saying like, oh, she to, about me, like, oh, she kind of looks like Jennifer Beale. I don't know if that's really true, but <laughs> I remember thinking, yeah, you know, I think Jennifer Beale is mixed multi-heritage. Uh -huh. so. mm -hmm. yeah. Um, like, oh yeah, wow, there's someone out there who actually looks like me. I, there was something so soothing about that. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, um, I see myself reflected in the world around me. And because of so many things, because of the way our society and culture is set up, you know, the history that I referenced around race in this country, I think there's a lot of risk and showing up or identifying as being mixed in multi-heritage. It's not something that's always talked about. I don't even think it was an option for people to identify as mixed mm -hmm. a generation ago. Mm -hmm. So 
helping folks find the language. I know we talked about, I feel like language is really important, helping folks feel seen Mm -hmm. and construct ways for themselves to feel more seen. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much there. I think any, you know, any person, any client wants that, wants to be seen, Yeah. right? And, um, you know, particularly, you know, clients of color, like back to what you were saying about people seeking you out and really commenting on the resonance, right? That, yeah. um, you know, also within our field, it, you know, it's diversifying slowly, but, mm. you know, 10 years ago, it looked really different. Yeah. 20 years ago looked very different, mm. right? And so to have a therapist who, um, who looks like you, um, at least in, in certain ways that, you know, there's not always a perfect fit, but, you know, something that's closer. Um, you know, I have a client who, who talked about like, oh, it's so nice to have a therapist with my same curl pattern. Yeah. You know, you know, absolutely. so just how important that is in being seen and, um, you know, uh, again, like that, that, that piece you named about people feeling like, um, they're, they're missing something like that's just, that's heartbreaking to me how they've internalized Mm. that sense of, um, I don't know, not something's not enough Mm -hmm. about, you know, how they relate to like other groups or, or larger groups. Right. Um, so, you know, part of what I appreciate about therapy is that we're kind of working from the inside out to help bring in um, their awareness of the wholeness that's already here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know, Madrone, that we're probably skipping around a bit, but I, um, you know, this seems like a, a link to me. I'm curious, Jenny, how you incorporate expressive arts, mm-hmm. you know, just thinking about that is such an inside out <laughs> kind of process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting, you know, I know we all have talked about for me how language is really important, how finding a way to name um something that we didn't have a word for before. Like if we can't name something, it's hard to perceive it. It's hard to have like the language to talk about it and around it. So, you know, I think even this, this conversation and these conversations that we're having help create more of a space to find the right language for what it is to be mixed and have a mixed experience. So, and there's so much more there that I could talk about with language that I feel is really important and exciting. And in my work using art and creativity, there's a space for us to find other ways to think about, to look at, to understand our experience that doesn't require language, because I don't think we have it yet. I think we're still in this very new phase of creating the language to talk about, you know, just as you were saying, Shireen, like the field looked really different 10 years ago and 20 years ago, and just the cultural landscape, how we think about race, how we talk about race, how we talk about ethnicity, is continuing to evolve and change and having creativity as another pathway to start to create some understanding and language around what it means for each of us and what it means for the individual 
each of our individual complex experiences of what it means to be mixed. Um, yeah, it just feels like it's a really good fit for me in the work that I do that we can draw on each person's individual creative, um, resources and understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you've also, you've mentioned language uh, a couple times and, and, you know, I know it's interwoven in, in how you, how you view, um, you know, just identity and psychology and experience. Um, and yeah, like expressive arts is a way of, um, it, I mean, it's its own kind of language. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and it also is potentially a, a, a vehicle, right, to, to finding language. Um, and so, you know, we're curious, like, what, what are your thoughts on how language plays a role in shaping and, and expressing multiracial identity? Um, and, and do you, um, do you explicitly talk about that with your clients at all? Or is it just, you know, as it comes up naturally or does it? Yeah, I, I talk about it more explicitly in my group, in my groups about how we're finding the language, how we're creating space um, to co-create language and culture around mixedness. Um, something, even just labels, how do we want to identify you know, mixed. Some people really don't like that word. You know, they're like, that doesn't apply to me. And I don't want to identify as mixed or multiracial. It's like that's, that doesn't work for me either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in this like playful way, you know, people talking about being a blacksican, right? Blacks and Mexican mm -hmm. and putting these words together. I just like find, I, I love that playfulness and um, let's like make up the word. I remember when um, Blackish used the term Hafrican. Um, my sister loved it so much that she like made us all t-shirts that said Hafrican. And um, yeah, there's just like all these different ways. And it's funny, like Metron, there was a, right? Some people I'm sure would be like, that's terrible. Yeah, not us. a fan. <laughs> yeah, don't love it, right? No, I don't love it. <laughs> So there's these ways that I think, yeah, there's so much evoked in the language that we use. There's so much, um, you know, I was just telling my daughter the other day, we're just learning about how to communicate. She's six, she's in first grade. And um, I was telling her that, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones. There's like this phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I was saying like, that's what they used to say. But now, you know, they say, and we understand sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can break my heart. There's so much in the words that, that we use. So a part of it is in the groups in particular, we're creating a space to, to create the language, to talk about it and not get it right, not feel like we have the right words to use, the exact right phrase. Some of the things that we say might offend someone or might hurt someone's feelings. And I think as mixed folks, I know for myself, I'm constantly tuning in to how am I coming across and yes. <laughs> what are the ways that my words are having an impact and who's going to get this and who might not get this and what are our shared frames of reference. Um, and I think I'm going in a big circle around your question. So let me know if I'm not getting there, but one of the things I think in the group is 
I want to create a space where we can talk about it imperfectly. We can have a little bit of space to give each other grace. And um, we're not having these conversations because it feels like we don't want to offend someone or, you know, my experience. And I have a very loving family, a very accepting family, but I've seen sometimes just talking about being mixed or the facts the fact that you have a different experience than people in your family, monoracial people in your family can feel, it brings up a lot of emotion. You know, people feel worried or offended or as if, you know, there's something I'm thinking in particular about a conversation that I had with with a family member where I was talking about some of these experiences of feeling isolated or alone, even in a, in a loving family. And they just, I could tell that they felt kind of hurt, right? Like, oh, we tried to make it a really inclusive space and we want, you know, we never want you to feel this way. And why wouldn't you say anything? And why would you feel that way? Um, and I think we avoid a lot of these conversations because I know for me personally, like, I don't want my family to feel bad or feel hurt or feel like they've done something wrong. And I want to be able to, to talk about I'm having a very different experience than you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jenny, I'm curious to hear more about, so I, I, it sounds like you're you're reflecting on your experience with your monoracial uh, family members. I'm also curious to hear about your experience in relation to your multiracial family members. So your siblings and your partner and your children. What is it like to be amidst these other multiracial folks? What are kind of some of the commonalities and where where are places where you're not overlapping, where you're having mm. different experiences? Yeah, I love this question. Yeah, so I grew up in a family with three siblings. I have two sisters and a brother. And we all present differently. You know, we just phenotypically present differently. And it was really interesting. I don't know if you had this experience with family members, but, you know, I remember someone asking, and this is like heartbreaking to me. And this interesting, um, someone asking like, Oh, is your sister adopted asking me and my older sister, whether my younger sister is adopted. Um, they're like, no. Um, and the same thing happened the other day on the playground with my daughters. Someone asked my older daughter if my younger daughter was adopted. Mm-hmm. And and then the this little girl came up to me and was like, Is is this your daughter? Looking at my older daughter, I said, Yes. And she said, Is this your daughter? Huh. And I said, Yeah, both my daughters. Um so yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of expand my mixed circle by marrying a, a partner who also identifies mixed who's differently mixed differently than I am but we really connected about that mm-hmm. um from the beginning just having somewhat of racial ambiguity how that influenced our experience of being in the world um and it was really wonderful to be having a conversation with someone and I imagine in the way that someone when, you know, when they, a Jewish person wants to marry someone else who was raised in a Jewish household or a Nigerian person wants to raise, you know, be married to someone who's has a common experience of being Nigerian. I feel like with my partner, 
there was this commonality that we had, even though we were different makeups in terms of what our mixedness comprised of, but we both understood what it felt like to be misread out in the world, to have someone question and challenge our racial identity, to feel like we were having a different experience than our monoracial peers. So yeah, that was in some ways my only chosen, very intentional chosen (laughs) mixed relationship. Um, And with my siblings, it's been interesting. Yeah. Just to go through and see how we're experiencing the world really differently. Um, And then the conversations that I'm having with my daughters have been really um, fun and funny and painful and you know, it's even though I'm having these conversations on a macro level in my professional life and with people that I'm seeing as my clients, it feels really different when I'm sitting at the dinner table with my daughters and they're saying, um, just asking questions about, wait a minute, wait, you're black and I'm black and I'm also Japanese. And, but why do you look this way? And, but you're, but you're white. Wait, but you're black, you know? So <laughs> it's so, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, right? Like not necessarily yeah. feeling like, do I even have the language to, to help them understand this and talk about it? And I do think I have a different skill set and way of talking about what it means to be mixed. You know, I'm mixed, mm-hmm. their dad's mixed and they're mixed. Mm-hmm. And I did, I definitely didn't have that experience as a mm-hmm. kid that my parents also were mixed. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my that's my question. That you know, we're we're kind of in in the generation where our kids are having are you know getting to experience more parents that are mixed as well. Yes. Um, and so the the conversation maybe in in some ways would be similar to you know us with a monoracial parent, but. Yeah, how how does your mixed experience inform those conversations and how do you think your your kids kind of take that in from you knowing yeah. that you're also mixed? Yeah, I think it's well my hope is that they're going to have a really different experience than I did where I felt like you know, even like I said me and my siblings all had a different experience moving through the world. And as we've gotten older, we've talked to each other more about it. I don't know if we talked to each other about that as we were growing up, but, you know, for example, even my sister shared that one time our dad said, you know, you're going to have to let people know about your blackness because you can pass. And that conversation versus what I say to my daughter when she's like, yeah, my, you know, my schoolmate didn't believe that I was Mm -hmm. African-American. And I said, yeah, it's, it's okay. You're going to give people a different experience of what it means to be African-American. And that's Mm -hmm. all right. They're going to be expanding their understanding of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's great. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a chance to show people that there's like a broad spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of it is a part of you and all of it is really important. And, um, yeah, even breaking down some of the constructs of race and what is it and what's culture and um, how can you be all these things and present this way? There's no way that you have to convince people or let people know or, you know, worry about passing. It's like not a conversation that I'm having with them. It's like, yeah, we're, we're changing, expanding 
what other people see and recognize as what it means to be black, what it means to be Japanese, what it means to be Swedish and German and Polish and Jewish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear about how these conversations are going in the groups that you're running. I'm mm. curious to hear how those groups got started and then, yeah, what's your experience been like as a facilitator and organizer of those? Yeah, so the group, um, you know, I have this eight week mixed identity group that started, you know, in the summer of 2020 when there was all these Black Lives Matter protests happening and, you know, just this cultural moment of reflection yeah. and recognition, reassessment of where we collectively are, <laughs> what's our collective racial identity and history, and then also our individual racial identity and history. And so many people that I was meeting with individually were coming into therapy and talking about how they felt really isolated in these conversations or felt really lonely or felt really confused or sad, um, not really sure about where they fit or where they wanted to fit. And so many of those conversations were happening individually. And I thought, you know, this is a conversation that has to be happening in community. Mm -hmm. where people can recognize like, I'm not the only one because the isolation felt so acute, but like people have to understand they're not the only ones feeling this way or thinking these thoughts or questioning. So the first group was October of 2020. And yeah, it was this really beautiful moment of coming together and we're all online, you know, and having a space to talk about that particular cultural moment that we were having yeah. and then just how it fit into the wider um, experience that they were having throughout their lives, all of us. So there's, there's structures in place in the group, you know, really trying to figure out how do we want to put our identities into context? And we talk about how things like identity and race are socially like interconstructed. <laughs> like we're, we're figuring that out in connection with other people. Yeah. And there's so many things that influence that. Um, and we start out with this wider view and this understanding of how things like culture and white supremacy and um, language influence how we see ourselves. And then we move into, okay, let me narrow the focus to just how do I see myself? How do I want to show up? What's important to me? How is this particular to me, my particular experience? Um, and then how do I move that back out into relationship? Right? Like we're, we need to be in relationship. So how do I find the language to communicate with other people about how I want to be identifying myself, what feels important to me? And a big theme that has emerged from these groups that consistently comes up, there's a lot of things that consistently come up, but one of them is um, just making room for the complexity. Yeah. Right. Like making room for not knowing <laughs> and not feeling like I have to come in with a pithy answer when someone says, what are you? Or like, give me the, <laughs> give me the explanation that I want, because this is making me uncomfortable to not know how to categorize you. Um, that, you know, there's, we can make space for this messiness, for the complication of it. Um, and give ourselves a little bit of breathing room. I think there's 
sometimes this urgency, like I'm trying to get to an answer. I'm trying to get to the place where I feel okay. I'm trying to get to, um, trying to get somewhere. And there's this moment, I think that happens a lot in a group of like, oh, like the place where we are is a good place to be. This is okay. Like I'm, (laughs) it's okay for me to be in this place of, of figuring it out. And even sometimes this place like between black and white or between these two cultures, it's like, oh, I'm in this new place that we're creating language for, creating resources to understand, we're creating community around it. Mm. Like this is, this is a good place to be. That's wonderful. Mm. Mm. You know, being where you're at, you know, it, 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 you know, I was gonna, I was gonna ask if you have any advice for other, um, you know, mental health professionals um, who want to improve their their skill or their competency in working with multiracial clients. And I do want to know your thoughts on that. Um, but you know, just pulling out what you just said, also, just wanted to, you know, plug for you that you recently <laughs> published a book on mindfulness-based <laughs> art therapy. Um, and uh, just wanted to hear a little bit more about that and, you know, just how, um, what inspired you to write that and and what can readers um, learn from it? Yeah, thank you, Shireen. I mean, this opportunity came about last summer to write this book that combines mindfulness and creativity, which are a really big part of how I work. And mm-hmm. um, I think connected to some of the things we've been talking about already, you know, um, giving oneself the space to explore the things that we might not have language for yet, to find a different way of understanding. You know, when, when I'm having the initial phone call with folks that have reached out for therapy, one of the things I often find myself saying is, you know, in this culture, we, we really value and prioritize logic and reason and cognitive understanding of anything. So people often spent a lot of time thinking about whatever issues they may be coming to therapy for. Um, and something I really love about art and creativity and expressive arts is it's an opportunity to particularly in expressive arts, like bring in the body, bring in emotion, bring in um, relationship even Mm -hmm. to give another pathway or different resources to understand what it is, what am I looking at here? What is happening for me? What's happening for me mentally? What's happening for me physically? What's happening for me emotionally? And how can I kind of piece those apart and in order to put them back together in a way that feels integrated Mm. and whole? And- love that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I've heard it described as, you know, coming back to your senses. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that deconstruction, right. Just getting into your senses in order to come back and integrate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe we, Oh, then maybe we can loop back around to Shireen's question about any advice you have for mental health professionals wanting to work with multiracial people or who are already working with multiracial people. And um, yeah, I'm sure they could benefit from your advice. So, any words? Yeah, I think 
one of the things referencing even what I was saying about the group, like creating space for the complexity and for the not knowing. <laughs> I think that there's, and I find myself getting caught up in this as well. Sometimes, you know, in the therapy feeling like I have to have <laughs> some idea about what I'm doing and where we're going and have an agenda and <laughs> have expertise or this particular skill set. And what I always come back to in these groups or even in my individual work is the humility of not knowing and needing to have a space to ask, to invite. You know, what is your experience? I'm a mixed person. I've grown up mixed all my life. I'm working with mixed people. I've been doing this for a long time. And I don't know your particular experience of what it's like to move through the world as a mixed person. Mm -hmm. So I really need to create the space for you to help me understand. And we have the tools of mindfulness and narrative and expressive arts for us both to find the space to understand it. Um, so that's, I think the really broad thing that I would say is I'm sure there's books and there's more literature coming out all the time. And it is really important to have this cognitive understanding or maybe intellectual understanding and in the room, it's really one, just noting and acknowledging if if a clinician is monoracial, that you and all of us are living and most of us have been raised in a culture that has this very monocentric bias. And the lens through which you view everything is through this lens of monocentricity. And when you're looking at a mixed person, that can be projected onto them based on their phenotype or based on what you know of what they, they've shared about where they grew up or their family. Um, and if you don't ask and invite their experience in, that is going to really shape and color the relationship and what it looks like in the room. And I think not, not in a good way always. Right. So I don't know if I'm offering a very specific <laughs> way to work with multiracial people other than I think collectively expanding our understanding of, yeah, we've, we've all had this lens that we've been looking at the world through myself included, very monocentric biased lens. And, um, just starting to recognize that that's happened and we need to make space to, to expand the lens or try on, okay, let me hear what it means for you to be walking through the world in a different way. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and as we wrap up, how can people get in touch with you? Oh yeah. So my website is www.expressivearttherapist.com. So yeah, there's information on there about me and how I work and my groups and you can contact me through my website. Great. And are there any groups um, starting soon or? There's a group that's starting in a couple weeks, May 3rd. Um, and it's going to be an eight week group. And the next group will be in October. So October, 2023 will be the next eight week group. And I'll have information about that on my website. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, we yeah. can put that in the uh, the show notes too. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Well, thank, thank you so you. so much, yeah. Jenny. This has been thank great. You. Yes, I yeah. loved it. What a rich experience. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks so much for being here. 
You've been listening to Multiracial Mental Health, a monthly podcast where mixed therapists center and explore the lived experience of multiracial people, couples, and families. Multiracial Mental Health, the podcast, is an ACAST production and a project of the Multiracial Mental Health Clinician Directory at www.multiracialmentalhealth.com. Mental health is a journey, and we're here to support. If you've enjoyed the episode, be sure to like us, share the show, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual places where content can be found.